0: Welcome to SED. I'm your host, Editor in Chief and Curious Style Voyeur, Jane Dagney. SED is the conversational complement to what's been written in Designers Today magazine. SED is also an acronym that stands for Something About Interior Designers. Here, through conversations with designers and decorators, manufacturers, marketing experts, business coaches, and others in our community, We'll acknowledge, celebrate, and explore that special je ne sais quoi that designers share and yet express uniquely. Designers are creators, people handlers, and life changers, artists and visionaries, extraordinary jugglers with powers often greater than they can see. We are intrigued and inspired over and over again. Enough said, on with the show. Hi, and thanks for joining the podcast. Today, my guest is Gail Dobie, co-founder of Gail Dobie Coaching and Consulting. Gail helps interior design firm owners scale their businesses profitably, helps them rekindle their passion for design, and builds their confidence as the CEOs of their businesses. According to four of her clients and colleagues, she does and is so much more. And I want to share what they said. First up, Seattle designer Leanne Baker. I've been working closely with Gail since my first VIP day in September 2017, and my only regret is not consulting her for her services earlier on. From the first time I contacted her, she has served as a coach, mentor, and friend, all the while laying out pivotal strategies and techniques, helping me move my business beyond my wildest dreams. But wait listen to what Leanne said next. I brought my husband Doug along to that first VIP day so he could help me absorb all the information that would come my way. Halfway through the day, when Gal was talking about the importance of capturing time and billing for it, my husband said, I knew it. And out of the meeting, he went. Later that evening in Denver, by telephone, Doug convinced five other people to leave the large law firm he was working at and he did so by October. Today, he has offices in Seattle and Portland and is thriving. We often joke with Gail about this being the first law firm that she started. I also knew that designer Lisa Kahn, who was featured on episode three, would want to chime in about Gail. She said this, Gail has a strong field of attraction for people that have spiritual awareness and are on a path seeking deeper purpose meaning, and connection in our industry. It's part of what makes being in her groups and at her events so magical. She wields wisdom and insight that are truly unique and sometimes profound. Gail has ushered me through some of the most challenging times in my career and in my life with grace, levity, kindness, and love. She pushes me. She honors me. She inspires me. I am grateful for her every single day. The third person to say something about Gail is Christy Barber, co-principal of the design firm Barber Spangle. She has been working with Gail for over five years. Here is what she said. Friend, business coach, confidant, no matter what you call Gail Dobie, rest assured that you will walk away from her feeling loved, supported, and cared for. As any loving mother would do, Gail will and has picked me up when I have fallen, given me a good push in the right direction when I veer off course, calmed my fears when I am scared, and given me the proverbial slap on the wrist when I needed a good dose of reality. We hired her to get past the paralyzing fear the recession left us facing. The lessons, best business practices, and practical advice that we have implemented into our business have resulted in significant growth for our company and more importantly, has impacted our personal lives by allowing us to live life fully and own a business. We are sincerely grateful to her for the magnitude of this gift. Dawn Brinson from The Media Matters also had something to say about Gail. The Media Matters has been working as Gail Dobie Coaching and Consulting's marketing and brand strategist since 2015. Here's what Dawn said. If the cocktail recipe called for three fingers of intuition, two heaping pours of business acumen, a splash of therapist, all shaken with a twist of good humor, the drink would be called Gale Doby. For all of those thirsty for some Gale Doby wisdom and to find out what makes Gale tick, here we go. We hope you like the show. Jane. Hi, Gail. How are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm great. I am so glad that you could come on the podcast today.
1: Well, I'm happy to do it. And is this telephone okay for you?
0: Yeah. You sound great in my ear. Do I sound good in yours?
1: Yes. Uh
0: huh. All right. Awesome. Um, first of all, I was just going to say, how did I miss you at High Point Market?
1: I do not know. We were actually, we knew that you were in the room where Bria was on a panel. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then we looked right around in the back and you were gone. And I know it was crazy. It was a busy market. Well, that was, I think that was Nick's,
0: Nick May's um, How to Get Press panel. Right. And I had an event at 11 and that was at 10. So I stayed for like 35 minutes and then I boogied. So, Yeah. So and and but I just I don't know for me market is a little bit of a blur and I wish it wasn't because it's one of my favorite holidays of the year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a great way of looking at it. We actually love it and it is definitely a busy time for us. We pack our schedule as you do too, and it's um, it's just its own animal. It's very hard to describe to people. They just have to go there. And exactly.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, And I wanted to tell you, I just, I want to sort of start our conversation with a little acknowledgement about you. Um, So you may feel your cheeks get a little warm. Um, And I always, sometimes like I stay up very late and I'm thinking about somebody and I, I wonder, can they, do they know that I'm thinking about them? Like, can they feel it? So I want to tell you about a time, it was the Tuesday, the last Tuesday of Market, Tuesday evening. And I had um, a small group to my house. I had Sean and Sandy Hughes from Steelyard, Catherine Lambeth from Steelyard, Nick May, David Santiago, um, a few others came briefly. And um, your name popped up. And I don't exactly remember the context, but some people in the room were not like super familiar with you. And um, the amount of like gooey love and admiration that was said about you from from sean and from nick and from me was just incredible like i and i just i think that you are connected to such an incredible group of people that you know that i hope you feel that um and give yourself i do okay because you're you're like a bit of a guru here i wouldn't go that far i think no mm, not at all okay well i'll take a poll and we'll see (laughs) i'm i'm eager to prove you wrong for that i really i'll let you do that okay so i just wanted to let you know that um if it was tuesday probably around 9 p.m um and if your ears were burning there was a good reason why so (laughs) well thank you so much So, Gail, before we talk about what you do every day in the business of design world, um, I want to just talk a little bit about you and kind of how you got to where you are. So um, can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up, what you were like as a kid, what your inclination was (laughs) just towards studying or your hobbies? What What was little Gail like?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Well, interestingly, I was born in Iowa, but we moved to Arkansas when I was seven. And that was something my father decided, and all of a sudden we were there. And it was a big culture switch for us to go from the North or the Midwest, actually down to Arkansas. And we lived in a very unusual environment. That's all I can tell you. It's my father was a doctor at a tuberculosis sanatorium, which today mm-hmm. those aren't even in existence. And so we lived in this environment, which was almost like its own little community. They had a dairy farm, they had a butcher shop, they had a bakery, they had all of these different things that were so unusual. But what was really special about that is that I met my best friend there, and she and I are still friends, and we still talk uh, usually about every week if we can. Did you go to school together? Well, we did up until, well, about two years, and then my parents divorced and we moved away. But we would always go there every summer, and then once a month, we would see my friends. But it was just a very different environment to grow up on, essentially like a campus that's all for the tuberculosis sanatorium. So not your (laughs) usual growing up, for sure. And um, I would have to say that who Gail was, was I was always the instigator of all sorts of ideas. (laughs) <laughs> and we would do all sorts of crazy things growing up. So I was always the one that came up with ideas for parties and things that we could all do. And um, I, I love that part. A bit of a and creative I guess I like, leader, it sounds like. <laughs> well, I think I just enjoyed the camaraderie with the friends and we would enjoy getting together and doing different things. And um, it was just fun in the summers. Mm-hmm. And and um, what did you s- choose to study in college? Well, I have a degree in finance and banking, and that was because it was the most practical thing to do. I thought I was going to be an attorney, and I went through about 11 hours of political science classes and said, no, nope, not for me. Mm-hmm. So I decided to do something that was practical, and I took uh, my degree in finance and banking. And it was really good. It was good to have that background, and I use it all the time now. I'm sure, I'm sure. Um,
0: on your in your bio, it says that you worked at a Fortune 500 company and called on architects and interior designers. And I was just curious what did you do?
1: I was actually in the carpet division for Armstrong World Industries. And my job was to call on architects and designers and help them specify our products. And I also worked with our wholesalers. And so I would work with their sales team and work with them on marketing and sales with their clients as well. So very good training to have the sales and marketing that early in my career. Definitely
0: seeing seeing design from that point of view. Mm -hmm. And then you went to
1: school and studied interior design? I did. Kind of after I did the Fortune 500, I ended up working for a subsidiary of American Airlines. And they were at that time, this is way, way, way earlier than Expedia and some of those different companies. Mm -hmm. But they were developing the software to do the uh, travel planning that we could do online now. With companies like Expedia. Uh-huh. And so I was hired to come in and help put together a facility of that was for people that were doing the programming on the software. And so I was thrown right into commercial design with no experience. And that was just something that I don't know, it just was easy for me to do. And then I had friends that would hire me also to do their design work for them and it just happened. And so when I finished that assignment with American Airlines, I ended up moving briefly to San Francisco and then ended up with a job in Denver, got married, lived here. And I had another friend that brought me up to Cleveland to do our house there. Mm-hmm. And I came back from that trip and I told my husband, I said, oh, you know what, I think I need to get a degree in design. So that's what I did.
0: Mm-hmm. And and how many years did it take you? Were you working at the time, um, balancing school and
1: work? Well, actually, I started school full-time, and it was a two-year program because I already have had a four-year degree. Sure. And so I decided to do the two-year program, and by the end of the second year, I was working full-time in mm-hmm. design for myself. So it was just something that happened for me very quickly.
0: Right. And um, and you loved being a designer um, for a while, right? And then there were certain challenges. And uh, what what turned you from design? And I also want to know actually if you still take on a project or two, do you, and if you even have
1: time for that. Um, but what well, do you, yeah. <laughs> that's that's a great question. And the answer is I don't take those by. I don't really try to take design jobs anymore. I really don't have time because this job is full time what I'm doing. But occasionally a friend will ask me to help them and I will. Yes. So mm-hmm. it, it still happens.
0: And and when you're walking around market, I mean, of course, you've got your own responsibilities and places you have to go for for your speaking engagements and, and everything. But do you pine to see the
1: new introductions? Do you? Does that still light you up? I, I love it, and I was I got a more of an opportunity at this market than I've ever gotten, and it was so much fun to walk into the different places like Jonathan Charles, Theodore Alexander, Vanguard and just a few other small showrooms that I was able to walk through. Normally, I don't have time to do that, but for whatever reason, we were able to go to events, and I was able to see some of the lines this year, and it was really fun for me to get back and see that, and I was feeling a little bit of that, (laughs) feeling sorry for myself that I wasn't getting to do more of it, but I just enjoy it, and um, I actually love what I do so much that I just, I'm okay if I can just see a couple of showrooms.
0: Right, right. Um, and at home, in your own home, I'm curious about what your own personal style of design is.
1: Well, that's a great question, too. Hmm. One of the things I found when I moved to Denver is it was a very, very traditional community. And that's very that's almost 30 years ago and so when I moved here I ended up designing in traditional style but with a little bit of a clean edge modern I really love contemporary myself but it's so I'm very eclectic I have uh, traditional art I have contemporary art and I have a little bit of mid-century modern in the house so it's a it's eclectic right do you collect anything that's a Another really great question. I would probably say that I don't really collect anything at this point. I except for books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would probably be the closest to it. Yeah. Yeah, books books grow out of our like like weeds at our house, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> I love to read and the interesting part is since we've all gone so digital, I actually have hundreds of books in my Kindle. To read, and most of those books are business books.
0: Mm-hmm. What is the last
1: great business book that you finished reading? Oh my gosh, that is a tough question. There are so many great business books, and since you caught me off guard on yes. that one, mm-hmm. I it, give me a second, of and course. I will walk to a place where I can look at my stack because I know there is one. It's by Keith Cunningham, so. Uh, Give me two seconds and I'll walk to it and find
0: it. Yeah, sometimes I can't remember what I had for dinner the night before or, you know, the last (laughs) great book. I mean, I I try and read. I'm reading um, a fiction book right now, which is sort of my escape. I'm reading Elizabeth Gilbert's book, City of Girls, I think it's called. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I read like two or three pages
1: a night and then I conk out. Very slow. I can imagine. You have a busy <laughs> schedule. So the book is called The Road Less Stupid by Keith Cunningham. It's phenomenal. And he's really funny. He's from Texas. So if you like audiobooks, mm-hmm. that's a great way to listen because he's the one that narrates it. The Road and Less Stupid. I love the title. It's fabulous. And another great one is called How to Be a Great Boss. And that's by, uh, let's see here, I believe that's Gino Wickman.
0: Okay. Well, I'm going to, um, you know, I sit here and I, I have a sort of outline of some questions. But because you said the road less stupid, I'm going to jump a little bit ahead and talk about smart. Because I went to your um, your website the other day, and one of the big messages there was um, about working smarter and not harder. And I've grown up being praised for working hard. (laughs) And so I thought, that's the key. I work hard. And then I went to see your website, Gail, and I'm like, work smarter. What's the difference? So what is the difference?
1: Well, I think working smarter is the way that we should work. And I still work on that. And I think some of the keys to it are to be very focused. You have to have clarity about what you're trying to do what you're trying to build. And you don't necessarily have to have everything perfectly thought out, but you do have to have a vision so that you can figure out where you're going. And then the focus comes to help you stay on track. And I happen to be really good at time management. And I think partly that's because of necessity. Mm -hmm. The amount of work that I have to do with my job is fairly demanding. So I've use time blocking. And that's a really great way for me to manage my time. And I look at what I'm doing probably twice a year. I just did this last week and I sat down and made a list of all the categories of work that I do. Mm -hmm. And I did an estimate of how much time I spend on each of those activities And then I highlighted the ones that really shouldn't be on my plate anymore. And I do this at least a couple of times a year so that I can start delegating to others or outsourcing that or just making better decisions about my time. So for me, that's working smart. It's starting to look at what are my plans and vision and how am I going to get there? And are the activities I'm doing every day getting me closer to my goals? So to me, that's working smart.
0: So um, be- because we haven't, like, formally, haven't formally said, well, Gail, what do you do every day? Um, I want to combine that question so that people that may not know you will know what you do every day with this exercise that you did um, listing the categories of work. So what does your work
1: entail? It's a... Very unusual combination of things. So, for example, on a Monday, I might have three to four coaching calls for groups. And we have mastermind groups. So those typically happen on Mondays. On Tuesdays in the morning, those are team times. So I have what is called a level 10 meeting on Tuesday morning. That's 90 minutes with my leadership team. And then after that, I have a meeting with my marketing team, sales team, operations team, finance team. So those will happen every Tuesday. And then from there, the afternoons for Tuesday and Wednesday are all for coaching. So I work with several coaching clients around the country, and we'll have our coaching sessions then. And then typically a Thursday and a Friday, we'll be doing VIP intensives or VIP experiences where we have a handful of companies come into to Denver and we do our, essentially like an overhaul of the business. Mm-hmm. And that's the typical week. And that's when I'm not traveling or speaking and things like that.
0: Wow. I mean, no wonder why it wasn't, I wouldn't call it difficult to, to find time to podcast, but my goodness, um... Your week is full, and it's full of, of blocks. Um, it is. Yeah. And do you have a calendar that you look at visually, or do you keep it in your phone?
1: Where do you look at your days? Well, both places. Uh, I am usually using my laptop, so I'm using my Google Calendar all the time. Mm-hmm. And our entire team has the Google Calendar access, and I see their schedule, they see mine and I have someone that schedules for me, that's another way to work smart is to have somebody else do your scheduling. Yes. And she is phenomenal at doing all my travel scheduling and my coaching scheduling, and that's a pretty major job, so. Is that, is um, that Hazel? It is Hazel.
0: Yeah. Everybody needs a Hazel, I think. (laughs) Everybody needs a Hazel, and
1: you can't have my Hazel. No. You need one. And she's phenomenal because she'll set up the meetings, she'll coordinate with groups of people, and she'll set up the Zoom calls and confirm, make sure everything's done. And uh, it just saves me a tremendous amount of time. And I, the reason I know how many hours she works is because she's a contractor for me. Mm. And she will work as many as 80 hours a month doing scheduling. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, she's she's on it because, you know, she has great communication with me and I'm just one of those people. Um, So in the world of business coaching and consultancy, what is your niche, Gal?
1: Funny that you should ask that, because I've had several people that have talked to me about what I do, and I try to ask my clients to describe it because it's hard to describe to others what I do. But I think the bottom line is that most people think of me as a financial coach, Mm -hmm. and that's probably the closest thing that I would say that is very unique about what I do. Because of the financial background, I'll sit down with people and figure out exactly where they are making mistakes, where they're leaving money on the table, how they can make more money, how they can have more net profit in their business. And I help them put together three-year budgets when I'm working with them on a VIP day. So, we're very heavily involved in helping them look at that and look at their productivity of their company. Just a lot of things that we do are very financially driven. But I still think we're very holistic. We look at the whole business, we look at what someone's vision is, why they're doing it, what their culture is, what their values are, and how can we connect all of those things so that they have a, a business that's very fulfilling. And to me, it's you can't do the financial without thinking about all the rest of it, too.
0: Right. Well, the financial lets you sleep at night, (laughs) you you know, and um, exactly and and paves the way for, I think, uh, freedom of ideas and creativity and all that. So, yeah. And and so many designers um, and other people, too, creatives, that's kind of the last frontier, that mm-hmm. that they're comfortable with. Um, so yeah, when you were when you had your own firm, were was your firm in um, was it in tip top shape? I mean, you know, was it all buttoned up and and sort of the way that you would um, see your clients' firms
1: looking? That's a, that's also a great question. And we were buttoned up in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. We I always looked at things financially and I was looking at productivity and I was working on systems and processes because that's essential to running effectively. And I would tell you that when I had my firm, I had there were eight of us. And I was probably the worst possible manager (laughs) in my design business. I think I was a little bit of a micromanager and I would say I was not great at it, but Mm -hmm. I sure learned my lessons as a result of it. So I wouldn't say I was buttoned up, but I would say I learned a lot through the process. And today I have employees that have been with me for years. Like Erin, who's my co-founder, has been with me 14 and a half years. I've had Pat for 10 years. Sean for eight years. So today I've learned my lessons is what I am saying. And you don't have to be buttoned up, but you have to be willing to learn.
0: Sure. And even, you know, even business coaches are, are learning all the time, right? Because the industry is changing all the time and you have to stay flexible
1: and it's constantly changing.
0: Yeah. Do you, um, since you've been coaching, how many years have you had your consultancy? We are coming up on 12 years in March, so a long time. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. On
0: 12. Um, so there has been a lot of change in the industry. And um, if you, like I was thinking about the design community and how amazing it is and then how challenging it is. And um, what would you say is like the big sun, you know, the big positivity um, that's kind of lighting up our industry now and and what would be one or two of the biggest challenges that we're facing as an industry?
1: Also very interesting questions. Well, the big sun, I think is that I think this is really important for me is I love the fact that our industry is mostly women Mm -hmm. and that women are learning how to be great business people. And that is exciting to me because when I started in the industry, I saw a lot of people that were out there doing it more as a hobby and not really running it as a business. And so today, I think that's a big, bright star. And I think the fact that the markets are starting to support education Mm -hmm. and that more people are interested in finding out how to run a business better, that's all a big, bright star because that means our industry can be sustainable. Right. On the flip side of this, as far as the areas where there are challenges or problems, I think that there are some commonalities. For most of the people I speak with, they're stuck in some way. They're having some problems. They don't know how to scale. They want to scale. They want to grow. They want to earn more money. They're having difficulty with – sometimes they run into cash flow issues, which is fairly common – And I think a lot of it is you have to look at what's the underlying reason they're having issues with their business. And for some people, it's that they don't really know what numbers drive their business. And so the more we can teach people how to understand their numbers and how important they are and how to drive those numbers, that's going to make them a lot more successful. Um, And that kind of leads to one of the other challenges that I see for designers is they're looking for more clients. Yep. In in most cases, they're at a a spot where they go through dry spells and then all of a sudden they'll be swamped and then they go through another dry spell. And what I tell people, and this is a golden nugget to share, is that you should be marketing the most when you're the busiest, because that's when you need to be filling the pipeline for the future. Yeah, and what I see happening most often is that designers get so busy that they put the marketing on hold. They do nothing, and then they all of a sudden are stuck with no business, and then they're
0: <laughs> I'm yeah, freaking yeah. out about it. You know that reminds me when I mean it kind of goes for anybody looking for more work or a job. I mean, you know, there's a difference when you are employed. Say you're employed, and but you're still sort of your your eyes and ears are open because you want to move up the ladder. It's so much easier to get interviews, I believe, when you're employed, because, you know, you're doing good work, you're productive, you feel like you're, you know, moving and shaking. The moment you say you're let go, the like, you know, your ego is totally deflated. It's so hard to kind of drum it up. I always think, like you said, marketing when you're in the projects, you know, when you're When you're doing those projects, I just think there's momentum and there's a, your ego is feeling better, which helps attract, you know, the kind of clients that you might want.
1: There's no question that that's true. And you can't really get yourself up unless you have some positive things ahead of you. So, to me, it's all about managing your time when you're during your busiest times, mm-hmm. and never to forget that your number one job as an owner of the business is to be the rainmaker. You have to bring in the business, right? And so, if you can do that one thing, then you can any other problem can be solved. So, I'd say that's probably the biggest problem I see most often for people. Mm-hmm. And then another problem that I see often is that people get busy. And they forget that it's very hard for other people to help them unless they have systems and processes. So that's an area where I think a lot of designers struggle and they'll try to do work themselves and they'll say, it's just faster for me to do it. Right. Well, that's not how you can grow. And if you want to grow, make more money and have more of a life, you really need a team. And so in order to have a successful team, you need to have systems and processes So that would probably be the second biggest problem I see for for most designers.
0: Yes, and and an editor that I know, (laughs) who shall remain nameless. Um, So uh, systems and processes, it is a challenge. So speaking about um, having these systems and processes and a team, I know that you uh, moderated a panel with some of your boardroom members at High Point, Mm -hmm. and it was called Lift Up and Lead. And um, the panelists were all, are all leading very healthy, um, design firms. So, right. um, yeah, I'd love to just hear a little bit of a synopsis of that panel. Um, meaning what, what makes a rocking leader and, um, what makes a, uh, what, what are some challenges, um, and obstacles to great leadership?
1: Well, that's a, another Great, huge question well, to thanks, answer. It all. I know. Well, you've kind of already <laughs> mentioned the systems and
0: processes, which I would think, if you're creating a team and actually letting people do things, if you don't have those in place, you can't possibly do that step. Um, you know, but I, I want to hear some other things that came up in that in that panel.
1: Well, there were several things. The people that were on the panel had employees from eight people to nineteen. So they're fairly good sized firms that are very successful because they have implemented systems. But I think as you grow your business, you get to a point, especially where these ladies were and are, is that they're learning how to be better leaders. And in order to be a better leader, you have to build your team below you. And they have to be able to lead on your behalf. They need to be a good representation of your company. And they need to really care about the team and the culture as much as you do. So I think that's the key as you start getting into the size of company with the number of employees that these women have. And they have done an excellent job of teaching their team how to do what they do well. Mm -hmm. The other part is letting go. You have to let go. And if you can't let go, you can't grow your business. And you're going to be stuck doing things you don't like to do. So I think that these women have done a phenomenal job of identifying what they need to take off of their plate and give to other people. Just like what I talked about earlier, which is that I need to look at my list occasionally and say, what needs to be done by someone else? Right. Because there comes a point that in order for your business to grow, you have to let go of more of the doing and do more of the managing. So it's a big shift from the early days of starting your business and getting it up to a million dollars. You can do a lot more hands-on things, but eventually you have to let go of things that you even love to do. So you may love design, but what if you can just be the design director and let somebody else do all of the details for you?
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, of course, when I listen to this podcast again, Um, I'm going to take some of your uh, points to heart because I really think, I mean, we're talking about the business of design, but it really rings in my business as well. Um, And maybe because it's another creative business, but with a bottom line um, that we have to always look at. Do you think um, there's Mm -hmm. sort of a natural progression? You, uh, a designer, works in in another firm, they are mentored, and then they open up their own design firm eventually. Like that's sort of one natural track for a designer. These days, um, do you think that owning one's own firm is as attractive? Do you see amongst the people that you know more collaborative firms being introduced? Because I see a little bit of the desire to partner up, coming to the forefront with who I know. And and I think you, your circle is ever increasing. So I'm just curious if you're seeing, I want to have my own firm, my own firm, or if you're seeing some new innovative ways of, of designers working together.
1: Well, I do see some people working together as collaborators and somebody is still leading. One person is usually the dominant partner. Mm-hmm. And it does work for some people, but in some cases, it is a little bit challenging. So I would just say that go into it with open eyes because you want to make sure that the other person fits your values and your culture. And if you want to do some sort of a collaborative venture, then to me, it's almost better to do that without having each other be on the same letterhead, Mm. if you understand Mm -hmm, what I mean. mm -hmm. I would rather see people do projects together and maybe share the profit versus trying to be partners before they really know, can I work with this person long term? because it's a it's a big deal to have a partnership and some work, some don't
0: right. and and I have heard of designers saying, you know if it's not my specialty, it's not my niche. like if kitchen and bath is not your your thing, and this mm-hmm. project requires a major reworking of those areas, you know, Bring somebody in and and talk about that.
1: Well, yes, absolutely. And then outsourcing has been something that's been around for a long time. We've been doing it for years. And so if we need somebody that's a specialist in something, we'll just hire that person as a contractor. So I think today, instead of being more of a generalist, you can hire specialists and you can find those people out there that can do certain tasks and certain responsibilities of a job, but they don't necessarily have to be part of your company. So to me, that's a fairly common way of, of running a business. Right, thing. right. Um,
0: I feel that there is a lot of support for designers, um, more than ever. The There's so many different types of coaches and consultants, um, a lot of them having been designers previously. There's Facebook support groups, um, peer mentoring, which... Um, you, know, you, you um, kindly let me sit in on a group of your um, clients doing some of that. Um, but, you know, designers just sort of naturally hooking up with others around the country and having their own groups. And um, why do you think we're such a support-hungry group? Um, like, sometimes I'm like, well, is anybody working cuz i feel like we're all lifting each other up and and doing all that what why do you think we're so so hungry for camaraderie and support
1: well i think we're as we're human beings and we really like to have contact with other human beings and connect with them and we want to share with other people and to be an owner of a business can be a lonely thing And so I think that really drives people to find some sort of a mastermind group or a community that they can partner with and also to find coaching because it's very, very difficult to be successful without the help of others. And I think and I even have my own coach. So it's not as if I don't continue to grow myself. I do. And to me, if you want to get somewhere faster, you're going to connect with others that are in the community, right? and you're going to share openly, and you're going to seek help. Because why do it the hard way? Because the hard way is really time-consuming and very extensive.
0: Right. And it is, um, to go back, you, you mentioned this previously with High Point Market embracing so much education. And the ability to have these groups on Facebook—it's—it's um, it's incredible what what there is out there for designers um, to tap into every day. You know, if it's mm-hmm. not a, a formal coaching program, um, so I, I love to—I'm um, part of the interior design community and a few other Facebook groups, and I just love to sort of peruse what's what's going on in the industry. It's really enlightening, and I love to see the support that everybody um, Most people give, so yeah. And I was going to ask you if if do coaches have coaches, Gail? And you
1: answer that of question. <laughs> <laughs> of course, if you're smart about it, you're going to keep growing, and we're growing our company by leaps and bounds. And we are going through a major growth curve right now. And so for us, I have been coaching with somebody who built a billion dollar biz- business, and that's with a B. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. she, and she is so incredibly smart. And so I've been working with her because I felt like I needed somebody who was way ahead of me in order for me to be more successful. So we've, we've used a lot of what she has taught us and we share that with our clients too. And, um, and that's how we keep growing because otherwise if I stay stagnant, eventually my clients will leave me because I'm not growing.
0: Right. Well, I was going to ask you that. So uh, th- I'm interested in, in a little bit about where your company is growing. Um, but, you know, you've got these different levels of clients um, that come in and the boardroom is your top level of client, right. correct? So mm-hmm. th- those, it are, is. those um, firms are bringing in a million plus
1: in right. revenue. Mm-hmm.
0: and. But I know that those those women, just like coaches have coaches. These people in the businesses, they they stick with you. Like you know, again, people are always learning. And how many
1: boardrooms do you have right now? Well, we are starting our fourth boardroom. It starts in January of twenty twenty, and that will be probably another group of ten people. And I think this one will be all females, Mm -hmm. which is the first time we'll have an all female group.
0: Right. And and before um, with your clients before they go into the boardroom, um, the the next group um, that's not the top money earners, you know, less than a mil is
1: called the. What is your next group? It's called the alliance, mm-hmm. and it's really for people that are about two hundred and fifty thousand up to a million. And our goal is to get them to a million of revenue within three years. And we've had several actually do it in a year, which is wow. fabulous. Mm-hmm.
0: And then they move into the boardroom
1: and they move into the boardroom. and if so,
0: if I am a designer who is relatively new, seriously committed to it, um, and I don't, but I'm not making two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, where can I go in your in your company? Where do I go?
1: Well, we actually have a program called Business Transformation, and it's a 12-month coaching program that they can do at their own pace. And they also have coaching that goes with that. So we do have something for people under 250. But I would tell you that as soon as they can, we try to encourage people to do our VIP experience. And that's our what we call our one thing. And it's like an MBA for designers, and it's something that we do in two days. And we, we bring in a group of designers that are, they can be whatever level, but we're going to teach them the same basic principles. And so when they walk out in two days, they're going to have a 90-day plan. They're going to have a three-year budget. They're going to know exactly what they need to do to change their businesses. And we've watched people double, triple, quadruple their businesses in a year.
0: Okay. So the VIP experience is is a two-day program that a designer who is not yet at the 250 mark can can come to?
1: They can uh, they have to be willing to make that investment is typically I think that most people started around 250 for that program mm-hmm. but um, we have had people that are starting their businesses and they had some assets or resources to be able to invest and they have jumped in earlier and we're okay with that as long as they understand that it will take a little bit longer if you haven't reached at least 250.
0: Okay. Um, Now, you have helped so many people um, and continue every day. You're giving great advice and um, working alongside clients. I'm curious, what sorts of things you've learned from some of your clients? How have they opened your eyes?
1: That's one of the great pleasures of doing what I do. I think that, first of all, they teach me so much. They teach me where they're stuck. And then that gives me the opportunity to be creative and create tools for them and create solutions for them. And so to me, it's a creative collaboration with my clients because just from the types of things that they bring to me, I'll come up with a new tool. For example, we created this easy client budget calculator last year, which is just so exciting that we're sharing that with the industry and we don't even charge for this. And it's something that I had thought about for a long time, but I never would have done that had I not been talking to my clients who had said, I'm really struggling with figuring out how to create a budget for a project. Right. So that was something that was really helpful. So that was me learning from them, and then putting it back into a solution for them.
0: And it's actually a It's a calculator. I think that I got one at the Las Vegas market once. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to use it. But next time I see you, (laughs) I have I have it in a drawer. But you know, I'm not a designer. So I'm not using it. But that's so cool that you invented something
1: for the trade. Well, I, it's we that's one of the things that I love about what I do because my creativity is on both sides of the brain. And so I'm able to bring my left brain, my finance part, into the business and then create ways to teach designers how to understand their numbers and not be scared of those and then actually get excited about it. I had it was so funny, I had one of my clients, she's an architect up in Aspen, and she came in for a VIP per second VIP and She said, I just glaze over when you talk about numbers. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? I want to show you something that I put together based on trying to figure out how to explain this to people better. And so within about 30 minutes, I'd walked her through another tool that I developed. And she said, I get it. I finally get it. (laughs) And that was so exciting to have her finally get that light bulb moment when she could understand what she was needing to to really be able to do with their business
0: yeah i'm I'm assuming that watching people have breakthroughs
1: is incredibly satisfying it's so much fun that's one of the big payoffs for me
0: yeah yeah um so what's next for you what's coming up how do you end your year
1: (laughs) with a bang with a bang Tell us about the bang. bang. Oh, gosh. We have so many exciting things. We are partnering with International Market Centers, and we'll be doing our Genius Exchange event next year at Las Vegas Market in July. Mm -hmm. And we're also partnering with Meredith, who is the publisher of Traditional Home. And so we're working with them and uh, helping them with their Southern Living, Coastal Living Designers Network. And that's going to bring quite a few brand opportunities to our clients as well. So those are a couple of big things we're working on. And we will be launching our podcast in 2020 as well.
0: Oh, yay. (laughs) That's exciting. That's so, oh gosh, I'll have to, another podcast in my library. (laughs) I listened to you um, this morning on my way to work. I searched your name in my library and I found a podcast that you do with Nick from 2017 and it was just you know it was kind of know. put me in the headspace of um you know just prepping for this for this with um little conversation with you. So and I know that as far as designers today you're going to be um contributing some some articles to us and it makes me really happy because you were I think you've been contributing since the beginning of our magazine since 2014 mm-hmm. um, you were sort of was the, you were the original business, um, contributor here. So I'm excited to continue that with you.
1: And, um, yeah. Well, I'm excited to continue that with you. It's, it's been a lot of fun working with you. And I think that you do a beautiful job of creating some great editorial copy for our industry. And you bring a lot of interesting topics to our readers.
0: Oh, thanks. I it's, uh, it's fun. I feel like we have just license to be hugely curious and creative at the magazine. And um, so, yeah, we're, we're gearing up for a really good 2022. As 2022, it sounds like um, I'm thinking three years ahead, but um, 2020. So, well, this has been fabulous. Um, it's so nice to connect with you. And I know that I guess we'll be seeing each other in, what's your first trade show of the new year that you'll be going to?
1: Well, actually, I'm going to the Arts Awards in Dallas. So that'll be, I believe that's on the 10th of January. Yes. And then we'll follow that up by uh, Las Vegas Market in January. So that'll be our first big event.
0: Okay, well, I'll see you at the Arts Awards. And fabulous. I'll see you in Vegas as usual.
1: And hopefully we can steal some time together. Yeah. That sounds great. Well, I look forward to it and as always I appreciate our conversations and I appreciate what you do for the industry too.
0: Thank you Gail. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. You as well. Talk okay. to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Said. Be sure to visit designerstoday.com for more style, substance and soul and also to subscribe to our magazine. Till next time. I'm Jane Dagney, editor-in-chief of Designers Today.